Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Apocalypse. I'm Gary Machida. You know, St. Jerome is the first Christian to reject the Deuterocanon as Apocrypha. And because of that, he became the mainstay for Protestants to appeal to as their historical case for the Protestant canon. But did Jerome change his mind on the Deuterocanon? That's what we're going to look at today on the Apocrypha Apocalypse. So fasten your seatbelts because the apocalypse begins right now. All right. So as I said, Jerome, uh, he's the mainstay, the, the, the historical case for the Protestant canon because he is the first uh, early church father to do what Protestants do, namely call these books Apocrypha. Uh, he didn't want it in their Bible. He wasn't going to translate it until some bishops uh, strongly suggested that he do, he do so. So he did. He believed they were spurious. They were incapable of confirming doctrine. That is uh, probably the closest you'll find in the earliest evidence of someone aligning themselves with the Protestant position on the canon. But did Jerome change his mind later on in life? So maybe the historical case is just appealing to Jerome only for a few years of his life or a couple of decades. That's what we're going to look at. <laughs> to begin with, I want to state at the outset, this is something that I'm still working on. I'm about 80 to 90% sure that Jerome did change his mind. I'm open to evidence to the contrary. And, um, you know, I, I still need to do more and more research. Uh, normally, I don't put things out on this channel unless I'm, I'm very certain about it. But I think this probably reaches that level. So I'm, like I said, I'm open to more information. And if anybody has more information, um, I greatly appreciate it. So let's begin by defining exactly what was Jerome's opinion of the Deuterocanon. This is going to be very important. So, and also the other thing too to keep in mind is dates. We got to keep the dates of the various pieces of evidence in line as well. We, Jerome makes his opinion very explicit in his prophecies to various books that he wrote. Now, remember, St. Jerome was commissioned by Pope St. Damasus I to make a fresh translation into Latin of the Holy Scriptures. Up until this point in the Western Church, the Latin-speaking West, uh, they read the Scriptures according to the Old Latin translation, which very likely was a Jewish translation in North Africa about the second Christian century. By the time you get to Jerome's day in the late 300s, you know, around the time of Pope St. Damasus, uh, apparently the copies of the Old Latin had become so varied that there was a need for a fresh retranslation of the scriptures. And Jerome was uniquely suited for this because not only was he fluent in Latin and Greek, but he also knew Hebrew and a little bit of Aramaic as well. And of course, he loved scripture. So he was the natural person to tap. Uh, he was a secretary of Pope St. Damasus in Rome for the project of retranslation. And of course, it takes the rest of his life to translate the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, making that fresh translation that I mentioned. In fact, he didn't even complete the work. It was still left unfinished. So some of the old Latin translation ends up in the Vulgate as well. 
that's beside the point. Let's focus on why and how and what did he think the Deuterocanon was, okay? The first preface is probably the most important preface, the preface to the books of Samuel and Kings, also known as the Helmeted Preface. And uh, it was written in 391. So just to put this in chronological perspective, the North African Council of Hippo Regis meets in 393, and then it's reaffirmed in 397 in, in Carthage 3. So this is actually a couple of years before Hippo Regis, at least according to the traditional dates assigned to these prefaces. Okay, he writes this. Quote, this preface to the scriptures may serve as a helmeted introduction to all the books which we turn from Hebrew to Latin uh, so that we may be assured of what is not found in our list must be placed among the apocryphal writings. Wisdom, therefore, which is generally bears the name Solomon, the book of Jesus, son of Sirach, Judith, and Tobias, and the shepherd, oddly enough, because that's actually a New Testament apocryphal book, is not in the canon. Nor would the shepherd be in the Hebrew writings. That's, it's weird that it's there. The first book of Maccabees is found to be in the Hebrew. The second is in Greek, which is proved by his very style. Seeing all this to be so, I beseech you, the reader, not to think of my labors, are in any sense intended to disparage the old translators. And old translators, he means the Greek Septuagint. Greek Septuagint is a pre-Christian Jewish translation of the Old Testament. It was the preferred text for the New Testament writers whenever they cite the Old Testament, usually according to the Septuagint. And it was the Bible, the translation for the church in East and West until the West became Latinized. Jerome, actually, when he was commissioned by Pope St. Damasus to make the Vulgate, started off like all other Christian translators and copyists by translating the Septuagint into Latin. He starts with the Book of Psalms, and we actually have a Latin Psalter by Jerome based on the Septuagint. However, Jerome kind of came about with this idea that not only the Septuagint, but all the other Greek translations like the Aquila, Smachus, and others, were loose translations of the Hebrew text because there were many different Greek translations, all of them varied, but the, the rabbis only had one Hebrew text. And he inferred from this that that one Hebrew text must be identical to the inspired original. And he comes up with this idea of Hebrew truth, and we see this here in his preface. He says he's looking to the books that he's going to translate from Hebrew to Latin. And if it's not found in the Hebrew, he says it must be placed amongst the apocryphal writings. Okay? Now they're not a can canonical, but they're apocryphal. Okay? And this is a change because Christians beforehand, if they expressed any doubts about the deuterocanonical books, they separated it from the Apocrypha. They said that these are books to be read. They're not canonical, but they should be read, and then, but, they're, but have nothing to do with the Apocrypha. Jerome moves this into that category. We see also in his other prefaces as well, for example, 393, which is the same year as Hippo Carthage, in his preface to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, by the way, circulated in a whole bunch of different formats, uh, large formats, shorter formats. He says, the order of the visions, which are entirely confused among the Greeks and Latins, we have corrected 
to the original truth, meaning the Hebrew text. So here you actually have Jerome rearranging text to line up with the Hebrew text. Uh, also in his preface to the book of Daniel, of course, Daniel includes those two deuterocanonical uh, chapters in it. He says, I can affirm this one thing that it is off, it often differs from the truth. And by that, he means the Hebrew text and with proper judgment is repudiated. So if it's not part of the Hebrew text, it's to be repudiated. Why? Because the Hebrew text is the truth, according to Jerome. Uh, the book of Esther stands corrupted in various translators. Again, the book of Esther includes various deuterocanonical sections within the book. And he says, I, lifting up from the archives of the Hebrews, have translated more accurately word for word. So you see here that anything that's not part of the Hebrew text is spurious. It's, it's an unauthentic add-on, Greek add-on, or Hebrew add-on, to the truth. That is very important. And of course, this preface was written sometime between 398 and 406. So he's using Hebrew verite to crank out various books of what later becomes the Latin Vulgate. And uh, did he know about the North African councils at this time? Likely not, right? The North African councils are in Hippo and Carthage. That's in North Africa. Jerome is over in Bethlehem, in Pel what's modern day Palestine. It takes dec it could take maybe a decade or so for information to travel over the, that length of uh, space. So most likely he didn't know it. And that brings up this quotation here from a Catholic author, Leander, who wrote a, actually wrote a, a commentary on the preface of Jerome's uh, books of Samuel and Kings. He makes this interesting observation that this comes from John Cousin, who's a decidedly anti-Catholic uh, English writer who wrote on the canon. Uh, Cousins quotes him. But I think this is um, worthy of looking into. He says that at the time when he wrote it, that's when Jerome was writing this preface to the books of Samuel and Kings and that of his other prologues, he had not been acquainted with the judgment decree of the church, which Pope Innocent not long after set forth in his epistle to Eusebius, as he was thereto moved both by the synodal epistles of North Africa and by the letters of Eusebius himself, in which decree the books of Tobit, Judith, Wisdom, Ecclesiasticus, and uh, Maccabees are canonized, and that there's no doubt, but St. Jerome would have admitted the authority of this decree if he had known it. And I included it here because over my years of research in the Deuterocanon, you keep seeing these little hints that Jerome changed his mind, right? And I think this is a, a decent observation. Is there evidence that Jerome did change his mind? Did he know about these decrees? And uh, would he have followed Pope Innocent in his decree? And would he have used these books to confirm doctrine? Because in his prophecies, he says, since they're spurious, right? They're apocrypha. You, certainly, you can't use that for argumentation. They can't confirm doctrine, especially in controversies. So let's look at the evidence for this. I, like I said, I think 
that actually has a lot of weight. So let's begin our investigation. Well, actually, no, before we even do that, let's look at the usage of Jerome. So I'm gonna switch screens here. And what I did was I took Jerome's use of the Deuterocanon, there we go, and I put him in cr roughly chronological form, although I spotted a mistake earlier on. Jerome's usage of the Deuterocanon more or less lines up with what we find in his prophecies. It's interesting, Jerome actually quotes the Deuterocanon a lot more than most ancient authors, probably as much, maybe a little less than Augustine, his contemporary. He quotes them a lot, but notice this, that when he does quote it, it's usually qualified or it's just an informal quotation. He just quotes it. He doesn't give any indication as to its authority, but he does make a lot of quotations. Occasionally, you will find things like this. For example, in, here in letter 54 to Furia in 394, Judith is quoted as saying, if one is of the opinion that it should be received as canonical, I find that very interesting, right? Because it shows that Jerome, his rejection of the Deuterocanon was not that of the early church. And he was fully aware that others do receive books like Judith as canonical and that he was of a different opinion. Okay. Continuing on, uh, there's a formal quotation is written, but notice all the informal quotations. Uh, let's see, he uh, mentions the, the books of Maccabees in the positive light. He uh, used the quote. Uh, he quotes Sirach as scripture in 406 in letter to Julian in letter 118. Uh, some other just informal quotations. He quotes uh, Sirach as coming from uh, uh, Solomon. I'm just scanning through here as you guys are. A lot of informal quotations in the 390s, 380s. Um, and you have those qualifications here and there. And then when you start getting into the 400s, um, actually this, like I said, it's a little bit out of chronolo chronological order. Uh, you start seeing things like the scripture says, Solomon writes in another place, even though he doesn't believe wisdom is actually from Solomon uh, and he doesn't include it amongst the books of Solomon. But that's interesting. It is written, here in his commentary, Ezekiel, scripture says, and he quotes Sirach 1.5, scripture says. So there seems to be, when you start getting to the 400s, Jerome's usage seems to start turning towards a more positive, stronger quotations. It's, if you compare how Jerome uses it with the, all the other people before him, how they use the Deuterocanon, it's definitely much more negative. At the most, you might have one, perhaps two qualifications by an author in a quotation from a deuterocanonical book. Jerome, you see a lot more, and you see it over a long period of time, until roughly around the 400s. So uh, that's not decisive, but I think it does move the meter a little bit closer to there might have been a change around this particular time. Okay, before we get, begin, we got to talk a little bit about Usurpius. We mentioned him already. He's going to play a role too. This is a big connection between the canon, Jerome, and uh, his opinion on the canon. 
who is Bishop Eusebius? He is a bishop of Toulouse. He jumps up on the radar screen in the fifth century. He died sometime around 410 AD. You guys can hit pause and read this stuff. It's just talking about that uh, he occupied the see of Toulouse in February of 405. It's evident from the fact that Pope St. Innocent I addresses a letter to him as bishop. And there's some other things too, but I want to go into this actually more in depth on the next slide. What's Jerome's relationship with Eusebius? We, the first time, as far as I can tell, and if I'm wrong, let me know so I can add that to my evidence list. The earliest one I could find was letter 54 to Furia, where you see uh, Eusebius is mentioned. And this is a quote from Philip Schaff. He describes this letter. He says, Jerome draws a vivid picture of the dangers in which she, as Furia, is exposed at Rome, lays down the rules of conduct for her guidance, and commends her to the care of Presbyter Eusebius, afterwards Bishop of Toulouse. The letter is dated at 394 AD. So again, 393 is Hippocarthage, 397 is Carthage three. Here we have evidence that Jerome knows Eusebius, and he thinks highly of him because he recommends Furia to be under his spiritual care. Notice he's mentioned as a presbyter in Rome. So he's not in France. He's in Rome. He's a presbyter. And that's important because, remember, Jerome was the Pope's secretary. He was Pope Damasus I's secretary. He lived in Rome with the Pope. And eventually, he leaves Rome to go to Bethlehem. To me, I think this lends credence to uh, the fact that he he knows him already before 394. Otherwise, there's no way he would recommend that Furia sit under his tutelage, right? And he thinks very highly of him. So obviously, he knew him beforehand. We don't know how far back, but it seems like they have already had a relationship enough that he would recommend what he does in letter 54. Again, this is right around the time of Hippo Regis, right? He's also mentioned twice elsewhere in his letters, in letter 123, that was written in 409, and also letter 125, that's written in 411. And by the way, the one in 411, he says that he calls him the, the Reverend Bishop of Toulouse. So Jerome, it appears, has a long history with Eusebius. Uh, he mentions him in letters, and likely they had correspondences. And we know that they did have correspondences. Why? Because he actually dedicates his commentary on Zechariah. So here's a little clip from the Ming. And as you can see, uh, Jerome dedicates it to Eusebius, Bishop of Toulouse. So, you know, he's a patron of Jerome. And Jerome is actually dedicates his commentary to Eusebius. So this is somebody who is aware of his literary abilities, right? Eusebius known him for a long time. He most likely is aware of Hebrew verite and Jerome's opinion on the Deuterocanon. I think, you know, I can't prove that, but I think that's very likely given their friendship over the decades. That's important. Why? Because we have this, the letter of Pope Innocent I to Eusebius, Bishop of Toulouse, February 20th, 405. The name is Consolianti Tibi. And this quote, by the way, is found in Denziger 96. I didn't look it up in the Denziger Hunerman. So if you guys 
want to do that, I'll leave that up to you. But what is this? Well, apparently Bishop Exerbius wrote a letter to Innocent I asking various questions on canon law and other things as well. One of those questions touched on what is the canonical books of scripture? Why did he ask this question? Well, I think from what we've seen so far, I think it's very probable that Eusebius knew the canonical scriptures of the historic church and realized that his best friend Jerome is saying these books are not canonical, they're apocrypha. And I think he wanted some clarity on this. And so he appeals to Rome to, to find out what exactly is the canonical text. And Innocent replies in this letter that actually becomes part of church law in France. We know this through Pope Nicholas I. So reading the decree or his letter to him, and this is in 405, Innocent writes, quote, a brief edition shows what books really are received in the canon. These are the desirata of which you wish to be informed verbally. So you see here, Innocent saying, you want to know which books are canonical? Here they are. And these are which are truly canonical. Okay. And if you look at the list, you'll find out the list is identical to that which is given in the African councils and which was adopted by the Council of Trent, which I think Leander, you know, he's on good ground saying that this letter was provoked by the inquiry of Usurpius and from the findings of these North African councils. It's kind of like they both come together. This is in 405. What evidence do we have that Jerome changes his mind? Now, remember, this is the ancient world. They don't have the internet. They don't have emails. It doesn't travel at lightning speed. They didn't even have telephones, right? It took a long time for information to filter out. And so you always have to notice that there's latency, right, between decrees and actually getting these decrees implemented and uniformity or something approaching uniformity takes place. So what evidence do we have that Jerome changed his mind? Well, before I get to that, I always forget to do this during the program. I put it at the end when no one watches. Let me really quick tell you guys, while you're watching, please subscribe, like, hit the bell, leave some comments. That helps with our visibility of the algorithm. Also, William uh, Albrecht and myself are on Patreon. We appreciate your financial support. It helps us to do this research and take time away from our families. Uh, to get this information out to you. So please, uh, we appreciate your patronage if, if you're so moved. Okay, now let's look at evidence. Jerome may have changed his mind. Well, the first line of evidence, this is something I was aware about uh, for a long time. Letter 130 from Jerome. The question, remember Leander says that had Jerome known about the decree of innocent, he would have he would have not wrote what he did in his preface. I think that's this letter certainly shows that to be true, especially later in life. We could have evidence earlier than this. But it's interesting that here in this letter, 130, that was written in 414 AD, okay? The decree of innocence, 405, it's 414 right now. 
we find Jerome saying this. And I'm just going to quote the bold. I give you the whole thing so you can hit pause. You can read the context. But he says, I think, therefore, that I ought to warn you in all kindness and affection to hold fast to the faith of the saintly innocent, the spiritual son of Anastasius and the successor in the apostolic see, which is the see of Rome. In other words, he's, he's telling them, hold fast to the faith of innocent, the very same innocent, the first that gave this decree concerning the canonical books. Then it continues, he says, and not receive any foreign doctrine, however wise or discerning you may take yourself to be. That means to me that had Jerome known about the decree of the innocent, most likely he probably did at this point, he would have followed it. And he would not have followed his own machinations like the Hebrew truth, which by the way was debunked by the Dead Sea Scrolls, Check out our channel. We've done videos on that. He, he would have dropped it, and he would have changed his mind on the issue, okay? Um, unless he's a hypocrite. In other words, he's counseling this guy to follow innocent and everything. Don't follow your own opinions on doctrine. And then he himself does the very same thing. He, he, he rejects innocent and follows what he thinks is true, okay? This letter, I think, signals, especially since it's written after 405 A.D., that he he basically would follow innocent. Now it's just a question of whether or not he did hear about it. I think it's within the realm of possibility he did, either directly from Usurpius, or perhaps the North African councils have made their way to Bethlehem by this time, or some other way, some way or another. Jerome knew about it. I imagine it most likely came through Usurpius. We don't know when. I can't really pinpoint the exact date. It seems like roughly around 409 AD, we start seeing a little bit of a change in his usage, but certainly nothing you can hang your hat on. But we do know 414, he affirms his fidelity to the Pope, and the Pope had already issued this decree in terms of the canon. There's another piece of evidence that I became aware of Actually, oddly enough, through a Protestant historian who's writing about Andreas Karlstad, the companion of Luther, of all people. And he noted that Karlstad, originally appealing to Jerome in terms of the canon, but there was problems with Jerome. He, and one of the problems was this text here. Holworth believes that Karlstad, when he came into contact with this piece of evidence, dropped his appeal to Jerome and set out to write his own book on the canon based on a completely different foundation. Anyway, that's how I became aware of this text. I just, it's an interesting thing. And I'm going to cite Holworth uh, in a few seconds. Okay, it's his work against the Pelagians, book 133. This book was written quite late, and I don't have the date, but I believe it's around 414 or somewhere thereabouts. It's in the uh, yeah, roughly around that same period as uh, the letter. Guys, you can look really quick and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe you could get the exact date for this, but it definitely is within the 14s. And it's a dialogue. It's a fictional dialogue between Atticus and Critobulus. Uh Atticus is Jerome. He's the Catholic. Critobulus is the Pelagian. He's a heretic. And the text in question is this. Atticus, that's Jerome, 
says, you are indeed presenting clever bit of argumentation, but you do not realize that your argument is contradicting sacred scripture. For the very words of scripture indicate that even ignorance is sin. And he goes on to talk about Job. Okay. Now, notice this. It's a, he's disputing on doctrine. Okay. He's talking to a Pelagian and talking about the nature of sin. That's the root of Pelagianism. And he says that, hey, you are contradicting sacred scripture. So you can see her canonical scripture, because according to Jerome's prophecies, only canonical scripture can confirm doctrine. Uh, you can see this in the book of Solomon, or his preface to the books of Solomon, excuse me. Okay, and then Critobulus uh, responds. He basically gives some more argumentation, right? He says, what kind of justice is me to be held guilty for sin? of error if I'm not conscious of it, uh, such a sin, or I'm not conscious of having sin, and I do not pay the penalty for an act of which I'm not conscious. Okay, so he continues with his argumentation, to which Jerome replies in the voice of Atticus, quote, you are asking me to account for God's judgment and disposition. Okay, in other words, he's not gonna deal with them on the level of argumentation, He's going to cite divine scripture because how can he account for God's judgment or disposition? The only way is to show it in scripture. And notice what he does next. The book of wisdom, which is Sirach, gives answer to your foolish question. Then he cites Sirach once. And then in another place, he quotes it twice. And then in the same place, he quotes it a third time. Now, he says the book of wisdom. Let me add a little clarification for you. The title is Wisdom of Solomon and Wisdom of Sirach. Sometimes the ancients just call Sirach wisdom. And unfortunately, that'd be either one either one of those two books. So here he, he's quoting Sirach as wisdom. That's why. Okay, he knows it's Sirach. He quotes it three times. And this is uh, to contradict the argumentation of this heretic on doctrine. And then he continues, and lest perchance you gainsay this volume, namely Sirach, listen to the apostle, the clarion call of the gospels. And he quotes, and he quotes again, and then in red on the bottom it says, and Ecclesiastes, excuse me, Ecclesiastes, a book about which there is certainly no doubt, says, and then he quotes Ecclesiastes. Here we have a document, a religious controversy, Jerome adduces a deuterocanonical book, the book of Sirach, to confirm doctrine, and he believes this represents God's judgment and disposition. That seems to be a very strong use of Sirach, something that contradicts his prophecies that he wrote back in the 390s, where uh, it can't be used to confirm doctrine. It's apocrypha, it's spurious, it's just edifying literature. Folks, read this again. Is he quoting Sirach as edifying literature, or does he intend Sirach to have doctrinal weight? I think it's obvious it couldn't possibly be just edifying literature, not like this. He's using it to confirm doctrine. That represents a change in my books. And this is recognized by Holworth. Holworth says this phrase, which he's talking about the judgment disposition and stuff, virtually challenges the Pelagians to accept the quotation in question 
or proclaim themselves heretics. And this was the view also of Andreas Karlstad. That's what troubled them was here we have a later uh, uh, work of Jerome where he seems to affirm the canon of Innocent I, right? He's using these to confirm doctrine. Now, but somebody could say, yeah, but, you know, he, he, Jerome does say or does anticipate that his opponent will gainsay this volume. And in fact, he adduces for that reason the Gospels and Paul, and he also adduces Ecclesiastes, in which he says a book of which is certainly no doubt. Okay. What about that? Doesn't that show that he still doesn't accept these books? Well, I think it does represent a change. And here's why. Remember back what we did at the very beginning of this video. What was Jerome's opinion about the Deuterocanon? If it's not found in the Hebrew text, it's spurious. It's an add-on. It's an addition. It's not authoritative. And if it's a book, it's apocrypha. It can't be used to confirm doctrine. At most, it could be edifying literature. Okay. We see here, this is not being used as edifying literature. But Notice that he doesn't reject the books, or he doesn't say, he says that you may gainsay Sirach, and that Ecclesiastes, there certainly was no doubt. So apparently he concedes there could be doubts about Sirach, but that's very different from his original stance. He didn't reject these books because they were doubted, he rejected these books because they weren't part of the Hebrew text that he got from the rabbis, the rabbinic text. And therefore, they're spurious. They're not true. And so I think even these qualifications represent a change, because now it moved from spurious, something that should be repudiated, to books that somebody may have doubts about, but nevertheless, you need to follow what they say, right? They can be deduced to confirm doctrine, as he does three times here against this Pelagian heretic. And that's it, folks. I think he changed his mind when we get to the 414s right around the end of his life. And I think we can account for that within that chronological uh, table. If you follow the dates, it seems as if he gets word of Innocent the First letter, maybe sometime around 410. Uh, it starts showing up in how he's using these texts in 414. Remember the commentary on Ezekiel? He cites three times Deuterocanonical books as scripture. So, again, I am I absolutely positive this is the case that Jerome did change his mind? No, I can't say I'm absolutely positive. Just because I'm a nerd and I need a lot of evidence to say I'm absolutely positive this happened. But I think the probative weight of the evidence shows he did. I would put up in the upper 80s, maybe the 90 percentile. Now, as I said, I'm, I'm open to evidence against this. If you guys know maybe some late writing where he has uh, a qualification like he makes in the prefaces, please let me know or anything else. I appreciate it. So, like I said, you know, subscribe, like hit the comments uh, section, leave some comments, helps with the algorithm. And again, we thank you for all your support and for watching. 
Till next time, thank you so much. Have a great week. Bye-bye.